Hey everyone, welcome to the Doc May Diet Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brian May. Every episode, I strive to break down and talk about the most relevant health topics and give you the basics so you have what you need to know and understand in order to live a healthy and happy life. So if you're listening, thank you. And thank you for trusting me to guide you along your journey of personal health and wellness. Also, if you're listening, feel free to share my message. Go ahead and like and subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And also follow me on social media on Instagram and Facebook at Doc May Diet. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to Doc May Diet Podcast. My guest today is Taylor Seibel. Taylor is a health coach. I actually found out of Taylor through a mutual friend of ours, Ryan Janney of the Free Yourself podcast. I listened to that podcast, found it very interesting. So he was nice enough to come on my podcast. I listened to this time, have a good conversation today. Taylor describes himself as a holistic hypertrophy coach, which is actually interesting. I had never heard of that before. So I want to get into that to find out what that means. Um, Taylor is also the owner of Immersive Performance and Let's get into it, Taylor. What exactly does it mean to be a holistic hypertrophy coach? Yeah, so in, in my mind, right, I uh, I like to get people jacked, really. Like, I, I like to take a bodybuilding-centric approach at, into my training and nutritional approaches, but more of a, um, how, do I, how do I put this, you know, more of a, a doctoral approach with my uh, blood work analysis and stuff like that. So combining like bodybuilding with functional medicine is really kind of my target. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So you're, you're combining the, the bro science with the actual science. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually quite enjoyable because it's the, the things that I personally enjoy the most. So I don't, uh, I don't have to effort too hard. It seems to just come very naturally. And I find myself going down fun rabbit holes uh, just, just out of it, pure enjoyment, really. So, um, I, I have a lot of women currently at the moment. I, I don't always know why that happens. Sometimes you just land in a certain demographic and it just works out that way. But, uh, women seem to be the ones that are the most receptive and most, uh, willing to invest in them, their health. So I found, so lots of, uh, lots of blood work, lots of addressing hormonal issues, lots of, addressing background gut issues. But the the delineation, I would say, is that my target is to get somebody healthy so that I can then build a bunch of muscle on their frame and get them leaner and have them look very good and feel very good about themselves. Because I think a lot of times it's either one or the other, right? You train really hard and you sacrifice health or you go all in on your health and you sacrifice actually having a significant amount of muscle mass and, and being lean and like going to the beach and looking great and feeling great. And I think it's awesome to be able to combine the two in one category. Right. So you're trying to have both. Yeah. I, th I think women are, are, are definitely more likely to seek care. That's true across all professions, um, including mine. Um, what, what hormones are you specifically working with and, and trying to monitor? What are some of the top ones? Um, I mean, women that's, 
<laughs> progesterone is, being low is the most common thing you'll see in, in female lab work. So um, usually there's a, a progesterone estrogen based imbalance, and then there's usually some kind of cortisol based imbalance. So we'll see sex hormones and adrenals be off and that'll pretty much throw everything else off. So females tend to under high amounts of stress, um, become hormonally compromised, whereas men become cardiovascularly compromised. Hmm. So you'll tend to see in male blood work that it's more like heart health based more, um, like yeah, it, it's, it manifests itself differently, right? Because if a woman's under a high amount of stress, she's not meant to be bearing children, whereas right. men aren't meant to be like going out hunting and gathering their, their cardiovascular system, like shuts down under stress. So then you see more strokes and stuff like that in men. Okay. So yeah, you, you just, you just put the evolutionary lens on, on why the periods of stress manifest in different ways between men and women. That's, that's an interesting point. So women, when, when they come to you, what are they most likely looking for at that point? Is it usually weight loss? Is it usually general exercise guidance, weight gain, or kind of everything in between? Um, yeah. So I think a lot of people come to me for weight loss and that's not what they get off the bat because that's just not where they're not in a place to actually lose weight. Like they'll mm -hmm. be chronically dieting and, and in a place where they're not able to be receptive to a fat loss phase. So we'll have to you know, start actually looking at their lab work, seeing their symptoms, aligning those things and feeding them up appropriately based on what they can handle. And uh, like, if they're on birth control, I try to set up a escape route to get off birth control. If they're um, taking any kind of like antibiotics or um, antihistamines or any of that stuff, we try to get that stuff out because that's what's usually creating the havoc on their system. So having a really good intake questionnaire to kind of rule that stuff out and see what they're using that could be getting in the way of their progress is like first things first. And really, so I, I live close to a chiropractic college, actually. Yeah. Palmer. A, a lot of, yeah, a lot of my friends are chiropractors and uh, I was heavily influenced by this approach. So, hmm. you know, you go, you get an adjustment and what you're looking to do is really like make some kind of impact to, well, depending on like the technique you use and things like that, but you're, you're making an impact in a certain region to bring the whole system online, right? So that's what I'm doing is picking out like, what are the rate limiting factors within this person's lifestyle, within their lab work, within their training and like troubleshooting and finding like, what are these like key flips that I can switch and turn the whole system online so that they can be receptive? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So besides you mentioned birth control, what are some other things holding women in particular back from achieving their goals most commonly? Yeah. Most commonly it's just, they, they just take on too much stuff. Like they're, they're just doing too much and need to actually spend time relaxing. So um, addressing, you know, sleep wake cycles, addressing morning and evening routines, using potentially supplementation to modulate the stress response, like lowering cortisol in the evening. All of these things can be very impactful. Um, I found in particular, very high dose phosphatidylserine to be really helpful in, in the evening for, for women. It almost like forces them to shut down. Like they like cannot do more stuff, even if they want to. And over time, working on the, the mental side of things as, as far as I can within my scope of practice is uh, probably the biggest thing, honestly, because women yeah. tend to get in their own way and they're ruminating on thoughts and letting everything else just, just beat them up. And um, I think I tend to be better with women than men, honestly, because I'm, although I'm a, I'm a guy, I was raised by a woman and I like my mom's like one of my best friends. So I think it just worked itself out that way mm -hmm. that I just happened to understand women better than men in the way I was like brought up and stuff like that. 
Okay. Okay. Do, do you find a lot of women are afraid of your approach of building muscle at first? No, not at all. Most of them want me to push them harder and I just like to have to hold them back. Men are the ones that are scared because like I'll actually hurt them. And they're like, oh my God, this dude is a psychopath. <laughs> like women can handle so much more than men. Now, what, what is the main differences in, in training? Let's talk about in the gym. Yeah, yeah. If you're training a man versus training a woman. Um, not huge. Basically, you're just going to be the volume that you allocate to different body parts and stuff like that might be different. But overarchingly, we're still following the same principles of like making sure that we're taking a recovery first approach. And like, if you if you're doing more than you can recover from, you're never going to progress. So right. any in any fashion, like that's going to be the top priority with with anyone. Um, women will be a little bit different because they have menstrual cycles and stuff like that. So usually um, I get people cycles online really quickly so we don't have much issues but if somebody has like week four of their cycle where they're getting ready to bleed they're just like really wiped out i might deload them that week or right. um, do, do something to just drop stress down so they can have a better time there because if we push stress higher and higher and higher when the um, and it's just the body's pushing back we're not going to have a very good response so it's yeah. more of like seeing feedback and working with that more so than guys, you can really just push and push and push and push them. And they don't seem to get as negative of returns. They're much more resilient from a hormonal perspective too. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now you also mentioned digestive issues. So what are the mm -hmm. most common problems you see? And then how do you address those? Yeah, digestively, that's uh that's a loaded topic for sure. Um, <laughs> like things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, candida, you can go H pylori. Those are probably the most common things, honestly. And then a lot of overarching things from that. So um, lots of people will just have some variety of dysbiosis, whether it's from using antimicrobial or antibacterials, or I guess even antimicrobials chronically for like long periods of time. Um, taking oral birth control is actually a, a really quick way to get gut dysbiosis. And, and so if uh, somebody is using or an oral contraceptive, they're probably going to want to remove that before their actually gut health is going to be able to be repaired. Um, can you, can you, can you stop there? Can you explain yeah. the mechanism for how an oral contraceptive creates gut dysbiosis? Yeah. So basically all birth control forces you to become estrogen dominant. And a lot of, uh, bacteria and fungi seem to thrive in a high estrogen environment. So, and for, in particular, doing it orally seems to make a bigger impact because if you have an IUD, for example, it doesn't necessarily shut down ovulation. You just can't, uh, you just can't get pregnant right, versus right. like actual oral contraceptive. Like the, if you see the lab work on either the IUD, usually people still have some hormone Gotcha. on an oral contraceptive. There's it's like bottomed out, but they're getting the synthetic estrogen. It, it'll depend like what the actual, um, birth control is and stuff like that, whether it's like estrogen based progestin based or whatever but um, usually that's why because it's it's forcing you to become estrogen dominant and things don't seem to thrive well in a high estrogen environment at least good things right good, bad bacteria seem to thrive in that environment right right and obviously the the link between high estrogen levels and breast cancer rates yeah well and then one of the biggest things is we'll see um estrogen dominance otherwise is usually caused by like liver based dysfunction or um even gut dysbiosis, because there's this thing called beta glucuronidase. It basically just like, um, if it's high, 
you just start recirculating estrogens into your system and those those build up over time and that's usually how estrogen even gets too high in the first place you're just not able to detoxify it properly gotcha gotcha so since we're talking women and, and hormones one common thing that i don't think many people realize is that women do need a certain level of testosterone is that right yeah, they definitely do. I think it's interesting though, because most, so the, the reference ranges you'll see in lab work isn't really a, a good indicator of, of health, right? So yeah. I have optimal ranges that I work from. So I think the, the reference range is maybe like eight to 40 or something like that for testosterone for women. And then I use a range that's like 60 to 80. So like almost every female I get has low testosterone based on that in terms of optimality. Yeah, right. So what, what's the, um, the reference range for men just in contrast? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think it's, I think it's like 100 to 900, something like that, which is a wide it, range. It depends. Yeah. Some are like 350 to 1200. Like it, it really depends where you get your labs run at. Yeah. Where do you like to see them at? Um, I usually go with life extension. I'll order them privately and then, then do all the reviews myself so that we don't have to, um, go to go to a doctor and have just a huge run around with things unless they have a really good doctor then it's totally fine but most people don't have a really good doctor and and they end up getting um a big run around before they come to me because yeah. like you know or if somebody has like a gut issue they go to the doctor the doctor's like oh okay i think we need to get a colonoscopy and an endoscopy they do that and they're like oh you're fine but then they're yeah. three thousand dollars down the drain and they get diagnosed with ibs and right then right we find out they have SIBO and we're like well Damn it. Yeah. I wish somebody yeah. would have said that. A lot of patients don't realize that it's not that hard to order blood work. There's plenty of online sor- services you could use. You still have to go to the lab and get it done, but then you don't have to pay, uh, you know, your traditional doctor to have it analyzed and all that. You could just order it yourself. Essentially. I helped my data with that a ton, actually. Yeah. It's, it's uh, very simple, like very, very simple to do. But even, even if you don't know, like if you're like a coach or any kind of provider and you don't even know what you're looking at, you can go a long way just by seeing the lab work and like slowly picking it apart or getting it done on yourself. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, what does this mean? And you just question things enough. You'll, you'll start to find answers and patterns. Like mm-hmm. I, people ask me all the time, they're like, well, what kind of education have you done for, for lab work or for training and nutrition? I'm like, look, I've done all this stuff, but I've learned more from just seeing people go through the process and watching them respond than anything. Right. Right. Now, what are some, uh, some tests you use to detect things like SIBO or other gut issues you mentioned earlier? Um, usually just a GI map. So I think you can order that through diagnostic solutions. I think you have to be a practitioner. There's a few places you can order it, but um, if anybody wants to order one, let me know and I can give you a link. But uh, yeah, that's usually the, the best route. I mean, there's, there's some other ones, but that's pretty much the only testing I'll use along with subjective feedback because you can't really accurately test for SIBO in a lot of cases, even with people have breath tests and stuff like that. And I just don't find that stuff to be very accurate. Um, so like there's, I think the hydrogen sulfide form of SIBO, there's three different kinds. There's like hydrogen methane and hydrogen sulfide that you can't even, there's not even a valid test for the third one yet. Mm. So it's like, how do you, you have to go off symptoms to some degree, right? But you can look yeah. at a GI map. And if you look at like what specific bacteria might be high or low, you're like, oh, this is a methane causing bacteria. This is a, a gram negative bacteria. This produces lipopolysaccharides. And this, that's probably why this person has brain fog and inflammation and high insulin levels and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's a gut based thing. Cool. So is it an upfront cost? Yeah, it is. It's like 400 bucks, but you actually get to the root. Right. Right. 
Now, I know we, digestion could be a whole three day, I was gonna yeah. say three hour, but really it could be a three, three week conversation. So generally speaking, in the most generalist terms, somebody comes to you, you got, you're with them in an elevator for 30 seconds. They're like, Hey, yeah. Taylor, how can I help, help my gut health? What would be your response? Yeah, I'd say <laughs> eat in a relaxed state, chew your food very well, take a walk after your meals and anything you can do to lower gut inflammation is going to be a good thing. Okay. What are your thoughts on supplementation in terms of prebiotics, probiotics, symbiotics? Where do you stand on that? Um, good question. It just, it depends on the context, right? So, because most people uh, that I find have some kind of underlying gut dysbiosis. So usually I'm not going to be using any kind of broad spectrum probiotic. If I was going to use anything, I might use like a spore-based probiotic, maybe like Saccharomyces boulardii, like something that's more specific right? and, and going to cause less issues versus giving them like a high dose lactobacillus bifido blend and then just have that's a diarrhea. One, right? You're like, what's the point of that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. This person's just going to poop themselves. Yeah. But it's usually, usually I'm going to look at small interventions first, unless somebody has like terrible, terrible issues. So managing detoxification. So making sure that our liver is healthy, this could be quite simple. You could do something as simple as have, uh, like a thousand milligrams of NAC, like in acetylcysteine, like morning and evening on an empty stomach and like, uh, 50 grams of broccoli sprouts every day. And that might, that will be enough to like, start to open up your detoxification pathways, um, drinking plenty of fluid, like at least a gallon of water a day. And you can get a lot through just like managing that properly, getting your proper amount of B vitamins, zinc, all this stuff. Because even for example, if you have low stomach acid, you need zinc to even create stomach acid. Mm -hmm. Like all of these vitamins that you may be deficient in, maybe the root of the issue is the fact that you actually are just deficient in micronutrients. It's like, well, dang, we should probably work on that first. Right. And maybe that's phase one. And that's like, okay, cool. What's still hanging around now? Cause we might've had 30 symptoms and now they're cut down to 10. We're like, that's really great progress. Yeah. Awesome. Now we actually know what we're looking at and we can go from there and start to like accurately diagnose things. Because if you're just looking at somebody that's, you have to be speaking a common language with somebody before you can give them an accurate input. Right. So what that really means is you're, you're seeing a person, you're like, Oh man, you know, uh, I, I know all these things that can help each one of these symptoms, but what does that symptom mean? Like, well, you know, what does their lifestyle look like? Are they eating well in the first place? Are they living in a low stress state? Do they, have they even earned the right to track their macronutrients? Have they done any of these things? It's like, you have to like live a overall, just well-balanced life first before you even apply these highly specific variables. Right. Right. And, and talking to you just for the short time right now, I can tell you have a very high level understanding of this. So it's good that you can take clients to that place eventually, but you have to start at, at step one, which is like you just said, making sure they're living an overall healthy lifestyle to begin with. Well, yeah, dude, I used to overwhelm people so bad because I was like, oh, I'm here. You have to be here. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, look, yeah. this is where yeah, you're at. This yeah. is where you're at. This is where I'm at. Okay. We're all in different places. I'm going to meet you where you're at and take right. you to the place you want to go. Not the place I want to go, not the place I want you to go, the place you want to go. That's a very right. different thing. And if you ask the right questions, you'll discover that. But if you um, have an ego and you're like, no, this is the place I want you to be. That's not going to help them heal. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So that's true for health coaching. That's true in my profession too. I mean, in chiropractic, there's like, I think like over 290 named techniques. 
And I know so many practitioners who the patient comes to them, they look at it like a, like a, a cookie cutter approach and they try and, and apply their technique to that patient, no matter what that patient really needs. So they're trying to shove a, a square key into a round hole. It's just not going to work out. So yeah, always got to meet the patient where they're at currently. Well, yeah, man. Like I, I have you heard of network spinal? I have. Yeah. So one of my, one of my buddies is a network spinal practitioner. I got this and I, I swear I legit really uh, contribute this to my ability to uh, receive and articulate knowledge and just be who I am and manage my stress and all of these things. Like I, I had like some, uh, some things I was like innately gifted with, but man, I got that treatment two to three times a week for a year straight. Wow. I'm a different person. Like like I am a hundred percent a believer in chiropractic. Like I, I don't think that anybody can deny the the benefits of truly giving it a chance, right? Other than like people will have this acute thing, like oh, I hurt my back, I need to go to the chiropractor. And you're like, no, dude, you have to do it as like a preventative maintenance thing, ongoing for time. If you want to optimize yourself as a human, yep, yeah, very very different thing. Optimization versus just acute healing. Yeah, but unfortunately, you're in like less than 1% that actually understands that at the beginning. Now, that's why we have to be good at handling the acute things, because that's what they're coming. That's the entry point for people. And then we, we build credibility in the acute response. And then that's when we have the chance to educate them and, and talk about the things that you just mentioned. Well, dude, chiropractors are meant to be spiritual healers. It's like a very spiritual practice. It's not just like, oh, I'm just going to get my back cracked. It's like that. There's something much deeper happening. Much deeper. Much deeper. Like, and, and we try and quantify as much as we can, but some things aren't quantifiable. No, like you have no idea. Like, uh, so I did this thing and your body reorganized itself. I don't actually know what happened, but boy, that was cool. Right. And that's why the founder, um, D.D. Palmer, and that's what the, your chiropractic college was named after near your, uh, near your town in Iowa. Um, yeah, he was all about the chiropractor doesn't do anything. All he does is remove the interference and then allow innate intelligence to do its, do its thing. And that, that's literally all I do with coaching is I identify and remove interferences within people's system. Beautiful. It's the same thing. Love it, man. Yeah. And then you let, you let that client's body heal itself. It's like, they're, they're doing something, either it's in their environment, it's in their mind, it's in the actions they're taking. Like something in these things is causing an interference. Like your body knows what to do. That thing is smart, but it is really adaptable. Yep. Yep. And that's why you call yourself a holistic hypertrophy coach. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have to be able to remove the roadblocks to success, right? If yep. you, if you can't do that, you're not going to be a very good, good or successful coach. Got it, man. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So now that we, we kind of went into some higher level things at the beginning, let's, let's yeah. step back and let's talk about, you know, how did you find yourself in this place? Talk me through your personal health journey. How did you get to this area in your life that you're in right now? Yeah, definitely an interesting one. So I kind of grew up overweight and very low confidence. So uh, I was an athlete my whole life, but I was like mediocre. Like I definitely had a lot of potential, but I never really actualized it because I just didn't believe in myself enough. So I, I pretty much, uh, I got to be about 13, 14 years old. And then uh, I got really interested in lifting weights primarily because I just wanted to look better and feel better. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, once yeah, I, that's, that's majority of what's driving people at that age anyway. No, no. Like you just want to get laid. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Like, 
like, dude, I want to get, I want to get chicks. That's it. Like, that's all I care about. I want my friends to like me and I want the girls to like me more. That's it. Right. Right. That's, that's all you can ask for at that age. I mean, that actually most ages, to be honest, like it doesn't, that's it doesn't true. really change that that's much. True. Yeah. We are all just uh, kids in big people body. <laughs> Pretty much like, oh, that's a whole rabbit hole, but but yeah, that's pretty much started there. And I, uh, you know, started, started training for sports and stuff like that more and more in the weight room. And I got more attached to that than the actual sports. Right. I, I was yeah. more interested in playing sports because I got to lift with my friends than anything else. Right. Like we would be in the season and I was excited for the off season just so we could lift harder. And, uh, that just kept building up more and more and more over time. Like my body started changing and I was like, never really where I wanted to be. I'm like, Okay. Like I'm, I'm pretty strong. I feel like a decent amount of muscle. I feel much more confident, but I definitely have this uh, repressed anger within me. Right. And then I went different routes and like, try I'm like, Oh, I'm going to train harder and harder and harder. Well, I got to a point where I got my blood work done. Cause I was like innately just knew something was off. Mm-hmm. So I was 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. And my testosterone was like 320 or like something, something super low. That would have shit like, for a 21 year old. Yeah. No, I was like, that's not good. And then nobody would help me. So my doctor wouldn't help me. And I was like trying all these different testosterone boosters and like everything I could possibly figure out. Right. Except for managing stress. Nobody told me about that. And then, <laughs> or getting better sleep or no, nobody talked about that stuff then. Right. And then, uh, you know, keep going down the road and some gut issues popped up and I would literally eat anything I could eat anything my gut would be like incredibly in pain like cramping bloating and I was like dude what is going on so I ended up I just couldn't handle it anymore I went down the route going to the doctor doctor sent me to get a colonoscopy and endoscopy boom slap with IBS Mm. and I was like shit well you know what like I still want to build muscle and do all this stuff like this this is horrible I can't do any of this and I'm unhealthy like I'm literally have nothing like what am I even living for right so I kind of took it into my own hands to figure out the solutions that would work and basically I'm just living proof that that's that's a possibility and I just want to show other people how that they can do that themselves or through me and eventually themselves so do you still carry that, that IBS diagnosis or did you, or was that more of like a, a, a trash can diagnosis? We like to call it, which we don't really know what's going on, but your bowels irritated. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It was that it was, it was totally that dude. Yeah. I'm like, I have zero, zero symptoms, like nothing. Like I can literally eat a brick and just poop it out. Just fine. Like, I, I, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like you, you would not believe how adaptable your body can become if you uh, put it under the right stressors and give it the right nourishment. It's uh, it's pretty awesome, but I, I think people skip that and they don't realize it's a really incredibly long process. So how did you go from twenty one year old kid with low testosterone and IBS to where you're at now? Uh, well, to be fair, I'm only twenty six, so it hasn't been that long of a journey, right? But long enough, <laughs> long enough. I had a I just, similar thing at a similar age, and th- those years taught me a lot. Oh, so much. Well, I ended up going the route of finding a more, um, I don't want to call him like a functional medicine doctor because he really isn't, but like something that's like in between a functional medicine doctor and a, a regular doctor. So he ended up like prescribing me testosterone and like, honestly, like that was a godsend. I still use testosterone. I think it's great. Like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with using HRT if you need it or just want it to optimize yourself. I don't think there's anything wrong with it right. because realistically the world we live in today boy, is it really hard to have optimal hormones without some support, super hard, hard. nearly impossible. (laughs) Like, unless, unless you have (laughs) 
the gen genetics and we're born into a great environment and it's not going to work. It, it's just, boy, we are really not set up for success. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, we're just not. We're not. So we're not. that's, that's the biggest piece was finding that at least like number one rate limiter where I'm like, okay, I at least need this to kind of like get me over the hump so I can feel better. Yeah. Cool. Now I have some traction and I can keep building this out. Then my confidence starts increasing more and more and more because I'm feeling better. I've like grabbed onto this like buoy of objectivity. I'm like, thank God I'm out of the, out, out of the trenches. Right. Yeah. And then from there, it's like, okay, cool. I, you hire the right mentors, the co right coaches, you read books, you go to seminars, you like, you do all these things. And eventually I, I was almost like forced to become a coach because of all the things that I'd done. I'm like, why, why would I waste all this just on myself? That doesn't make any sense. Yep. So do I know everything? No, I don't. But if somebody comes to me with a specific case, I'll figure out how to solve it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very similar to my story. I was actually diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 22. Mm. Um, had gone through two and a half years of, of doctors. I even went to chiropractors, nutritionists. I was at everything. I was paying for all of it out of pocket. Long story short, ended up yep. being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Like I said, mm. it was also a trash can diagnosis. You know, mm. the blood work was positive. So they called it zero negative. Mm. Changed my diet around, changed my lifestyle, eliminated the inflammation been on a pretty good eating pattern ever since. And yeah, now at the point where I'm pretty much pain-free day to day, which is great at those two and a half years, I couldn't even do a push up without having mm. searing shoulder pain. So mm. yeah, similar story in that I went through that. And now I want to be able to share that with everybody else. Dude, random side note, I've, and this is completely not off topic, but just, just random. If anybody wants like this little bit of information, serapeptase is a really cool proteolytic enzyme that I found to be super effective with rheumatoid arthritis and honestly, a lot of other cases, but very, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, just look into systemic enzymes. That is a humongous help. You just want to take them on a fasted stomach so that they can actually do their job because they're, they're proteolytic enzymes, but if you have them with food, they're literally just going to go break down protein. But if you take them fasted, they will literally scavenge their way through your body and find like whether it's um, a female with um, uterine fibroids or fiber, like fibrous breasts or um, somebody with knee and low back pain or somebody with RA or it will go and like literally eat up these fibrous tissues and eliminate them from your body. So that one more time, the, uh, the enzyme? Serapeptase, like S-E-R-R-A-P-E-P-T-A-S-E. Okay. And that's a proteolytic enzyme. Yep. It's very cheap. Doctor's best on Amazon is the one I oh, yeah. use. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, since we're on the supplement topic, then what are, what are some other, I mean, you probably have a bunch right now, but what are yeah. some of your like, top five supplements that you find yourself not prescribing, but recommending mm. most often? Mm. Yeah. So quite. Okay. We'll, we'll go like the most baseline things that everybody can probably benefit from. Okay. So I would say a, a good B complex, like an activated B complex. So now you're going to want to be careful with the dosing because I would start with just like one a day. I, I like, um, what is it called? Pure encapsulations, pure genomics, B complex. Basically like if you have any genetic variants that don't allow you to methylate properly or anything like that, which is a part of detoxification, mm -hmm. um, that's a really good one so that you can get all the activated forms of these, these vitamins but these are going to be really important from everything from like energy production to your, like even your ability to relax and create certain neurotransmitters and all, all kinds of stuff. 
So essentially B vitamins, very, very crucial. And they get used up rapidly under high amounts of stress, mm. but you don't want to go crazy off the bat. Like, cause some people have used it like three or four times a day, depending because it'll help with um, thyroid production and stuff like that if, yeah. in certain cases. But if you're somebody that over methylates, you actually don't want to take a lot of those because you'll start to get more and more anxious. So not a, not a good thing. So I would say just starting with one, one of those a day. Good idea. Um, probably a zinc supplement. I, I, if you have a, a zinc deficiency, I'd probably look at lab work, but honestly, most people are a safe bet that they have a zinc deficiency. I would do zinc carnosine because it's going to actually aid in healing the gut lining more too, which is pretty cool. And then, uh, let's see any kind of, any form of magnesium. There's, there's a lot of different forms. Let's say if you're more prone to constipation, maybe a magnesium citrate, if you're more, um, needing like a relaxation type sedative effect, maybe like magnesium glycinate. If you need it more from a brain standpoint, magnesium three and eight would be a little bit better. If you need it from a muscle standpoint, magnesium malate, like just depending on what you need yeah, it for. There's a lot of different types of magnesium, right? Any of those are good, but so we've got B vitamins, zinc, magnesium, three guys here. So I'd probably go cod liver oil. So because we're, we're going to get our omega threes from the cod liver oil, right? I do a half tablespoon morning and evening with people like with your first and last meal, but we're going to get, uh, I used a Carlson brand so you can get vitamin D in there. Not too much. It's like 1200 IUs, which isn't a lot, but it's in a very highly usable form. So I actually find it to be more effective and it's actually oral rather than, um, like a, a capsule form. Like yep. it, it just seems to absorb better. The, the bioavailability of it is much higher. Yeah. It's just much higher. And then vitamin E, you're going to get in there. Mo That's probably the one of the most deficient vitamins. Vitamin E and A are like 100% the most deficient vitamins that I that I see across the board. And they're very potent antioxidants, at least vitamin E for sure. Yeah. But for example, if you have troubles um, with your iron levels, like not having a high enough iron, like you might have a vitamin A deficiency. If you have troubles with your skin, you might have an iron A or a vitamin A deficiency. If you or vitamin E deficiency. So I, I would look at those. And then last one, boy, that's a pretty good stack so far. Yeah. I would probably pick maybe selenium, to be honest. Like if you had to pick like a single standalone thing, if somebody has a th like thyroid conversion based issues, you can get that from like Brazil nuts or something like that too. I would say that maybe the fifth one, just pick something that's like the biggest rate limiter, like the thing you suck the most at. Like if you suck the most at relaxation, maybe something like phosphatidylserine, maybe something like ashwagandha, something like that. But if you like really have poor energy in the morning, maybe you look at like an adrenal glandular, maybe you look at like maca, maybe you look at something that's like rhodiola, more energizing in nature. Uh, I would do more of like a symptom management based supplement for like that yeah. last one. Right. Now that we've got like the baseline. Yeah. Yeah. Just because usually if you feel better, you're going to, you're going to be more inclined to having better health, right? Because health kind of starts in the mind. Now, what's the relationship between vitamin E and selenium? Um, honestly, I don't really know. Yeah. I haven't specifically deep dove on the vitamin E selenium connection, if I'm being completely honest. Okay. Yeah. I, I do believe there is a relationship there and kind of like magnesium, potassium, magnesium, vitamin D, like you need to have one or to absorb the other one. As far as I've heard and I've learned, I was wondering if you knew anything about that. Yeah, um, I know selenium and copper have a connection. Same with, with zinc and copper, but yep, yep. So, But I, I'm not sure specifically on the vitamin E selenium piece. There's only so much I can remember in my head on it. <laughs> I have a bunch of notes everywhere, but uh, that one's just not stuck in there. All right, so let's get into some more of the, uh, I mean, I love this stuff too, but 
more of the general just fitness stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Stuff. So um, somebody comes to you, you know, it seems like their, their health is, is on track, right? Yep. And they're just a healthy guy wanting to put on 15 pounds of muscle. Yeah. What's your first piece of advice, typically speaking? Uh, well, number one, I'm still going to cover all their nutrient bases first because they're going to need that irregardless of their goals. Right. So first things first, like nutrition, stress management, like all that stuff comes first because you literally are not going to build muscle no matter how great your program is without that stuff. Yeah. But um, first things first, I would say, what have you been doing and how has it been affecting you? Right. Cause we want to see like, what's the results been from what they're doing, but, but maybe it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. I've been training four times a week, mostly like four sets of 10 with like 90 seconds rest. You're like, all right, maybe this isn't optimal, but that's specific enough that I can work with like understanding, like probably the general direction of your physiology right now. Mm-hmm. it's like okay you've been doing four sets of 10 with about 90 seconds rest so essentially that's like right smack dab in the middle of what we would call the um training stimulus like spectrum right so now you're kind of like right in the middle of like this like hypertrophy type range but we're going to be looking at okay maybe we could explore more in the strength ranges to get a quick change maybe we could explore more on the metabolic stuff where we're going like higher reps shorter rest periods versus strength being lower reps, longer rest periods, because we could probably get a quick change because your system is going to be very um, fresh and unadapted to that at the current yeah. moment. Right. However, most people that are in that like four sets of 10 type crowd, they're not actually training hard enough in the first place. So I don't think it matters. So most people, probably everybody listening to this, because I'm sure nobody is uh, an elite level athlete, at least there's a very small percentage of the population that actually right. um, benefits just, from the nuances the numbers alone. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just very unlikely. So what I would say is maybe pick something you for sure know you can recover from. And I would say maybe that's four days a week for most people, four days a week is good. So I'd probably take your body and maybe we do like a half a body uh, training split to start. So Maybe that's like full body push, full body pull, rest, full body push, full body pull, then two days of rest. Maybe it's upper, lower rest, upper, lower, and then two days of rest, whatever it is. Starting things fairly evenly split, then I'd take all the volume for all of your body parts. We have like chest, we have your back, which I kind of split in between like upper back and lats, but I count them a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Biceps, triceps, hamstrings, quads, glutes, all, all these things. And I'm looking at what is the total amount of volume of hard sets near failure that I can do for this person in a week. It's like, okay, cool. Maybe I'm going to start on the very low end. Maybe I'm going to do 40 hard sets a week. That's, that's quite low. We might be able to get, I find most people do the best in like the 80 to 120 sets per week range. But first things first, I'm probably going to start somebody much lower than I think that they should have to optimally grow muscle because I want to make for sure they have enough recovery to grow. They're not going to not grow at all if they're going from like half-ass training with more volume to really, really hard, very intense, intentful training with lower amounts of sets. They're still going to make progress. And we have a lot of room that we can progress through, but it's like, okay, cool. Maybe that's like four five, six sets per body part, whatever it ends up being Mm -hmm. like as minimal as we can do to get some response, some kind of muscle disruption, some kind of soreness, something because it gives us room to navigate that upwards. So maybe we have that half body training split. Maybe we have 10 sets per workout. 
like seems even like easily manageable, but now we're teaching you how to train really hard and take each one of those sets to a very deep failure point because I'm only counting these sets as the hard, hard failure sets. I'm not counting the warm up sets. I'm not counting any of that stuff, only the hard ones. Like the ones where you're like, oh man, I really like if I had a gun to my head, I couldn't do another rep. Like that, that, that's what those sets are like. They're probably harder than any one set most people's doing in the gym. Right. 40 of those. Great starting point. And then we could see based on how the recovery is from that, hey, can we add more? Are your biceps not growing very well? Hey, look, maybe we add uh, another set to your bicep curl here. Maybe we add a little bit more for your medial delts. You want to grow those? Okay, let's see how your recovery is over the next week. Oh, wow, recovery is still good. Training is standardized. We're training really, really hard. Awesome. Well, it looks like growth is actually ticking up a little bit over these next couple of weeks here, but your fatigue's getting really high. Well, dang. Okay. We're going to deload for a week, pull everything back. Maybe we keep everything the same, but we just like take three or four reps away. So you're just training less hard, but you're doing the same amount of sets, the same exercises, everything like that. And then maybe the second half of the week, you just take off. So you take like five days off. So you like train decently hard for Monday, Tuesday. Then you take like Wednesday through Sunday off. And then we start a new training program the next week. Like it, it's really just about, and I know this is a long winded way to put this, but find something you can recover from, start with the least amount you could possibly do and give yourself room to progress through that. But don't add more until you know for sure that you're providing a high enough level of effort that warrants you adding more and it being accurate. That's, that makes sense to me, man. So, but yeah, basically start with the minimum effective dose, right? And then, and then literally top of that. Because people want the maximum recoverable volume. And you're like, that's not a good idea, man. You got to start as low as you can go. It's like, look, minimum effective. And then you work your way through maximum adaptive, not maximum recoverable. That's probably not, like, you're going to have to really monitor your life stress. Like you might have to cut out things that you didn't even think you were going to have to cut out. You might have to cut out like hanging out with your friends or having a drink on the weekend or doing any of these things just because your stress recovery as a human is not high enough to handle everything. So like, that's the point that you'll get to if you really want to seek optimality is that's where people have this like uh, all in mindset. Because if you truly want optimal, you do need that. Like you literally yeah. do. There, there's no other way around it. But right. Most people don't need optimal. You just need good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big mistake a lot of people make is they, they treat each and every workout like they're getting ready for like a high school football game, right? Like they're slamming their head off like the locker oh. room. And like that's, that's, there's a difference between working out and, and training. And I think that's a difference that you illuminate people to. Yeah, it's a complete difference, right? And I don't have anything wrong with working out. Like, yeah. if you want to no, just have, have a workout, it's everybody awesome. works out, right? <laughs> but I, I like to train. I don't, I don't program for people to just work out, right? Even people that have, have hormonal issues and stuff, I still push them really hard, honestly, because I think it makes them a better, more adaptable human. Yeah. So I would rather push somebody hard. I'll just pull back the amount of days they train, right? So maybe instead of training them four or five days, we train like two or three days, but they still train really hard. They just have more rest days to offset the amount of stress. Now on those rest days, how do you change the, 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 the meals or the macros or mm -hmm. how do you attack the rest day as opposed to a workout day? Uh, it depends. A lot of people just leave it the same. Yeah, because, well, you think about it, the, the recovery window is not a very acute one, right? You could train today and it might literally take you a week to like actually lose all sensitivity from, from the workout that you had that you've gained in terms of like glucose uptake and stuff like that. Like it's an actually longer window than people think. Yeah. But that being said, 
uh, I've done it a lot of different ways. Like I have people that eat less on workout days and more on rest days because they feel less well when they train like with a full stomach or they like, maybe they go train legs and they're like, dude, I am like not hungry at all after I train legs. Like, cool. That's fine. Let's eat more tomorrow because you're still going to be recovering, Yeah, but you're going to be in a lower stress state to actually digest your food better. Right. Right. Okay. And some that people are just sense. ravenous on their training days. They're like, look, we're going to give you more here and maybe we keep it the same on the other days. Maybe we, oh, well, we have some insulin resistance. Well, guess what? We're going to actually keep your carbs like in a decent spot, but I'm going to shove most of them, maybe like 75% pre, during and post-workout. The rest of your days are more like protein, carbs, and fats. And then your rest days are higher fat, lower carb. And then we do like a little bit of a longer fasting window, maybe. So like you can kind of intertwine these things and yeah. get whatever effect you need. But either way, we're still always prioritizing nutrition around the training sessions. Pre-workout's probably the most important for performance, really. Post-workout, the most important from like a recovery standpoint. And I think um, during the workout's a really nice place to Number one, keep performance high by providing some some food there, like not actual food. I'd do like a uh, like a carb drink and yeah, maybe some aminos. Yeah. yeah, something highly but, digestible and quickly digestible. Yeah, yeah, something that's not going to bog you down. You definitely don't want your digestive tract being bogged yeah. down while you're trying to dis distribute blood to your muscles. Yeah, you can't be in, and also like the, the nervous system switch there, right? You got to be in parasympathetic to properly digest. You don't want something to push you into parasympathetic while you're getting ready for a set of deadlifts. <laughs> yeah. And like, maybe you do depending on the case, right? Maybe somebody's like hyper aroused and they actually need something to bring them down, but yeah, uh, it's, it's just context dependent. Everything's context dependent, right? Cause if somebody, right. their rate limiting factor in a deadlift is they get too aroused to the point they can't perform well. Cause you'll notice that some people will do like, they'll crush it in their warm up sets. Everything feels great. And then as soon as they give themselves this high amount of pressure, they crumble. Mm. And you're like, Oh, that person probably just needs to actually come into it with like a more meditative state rather than right. being hyped up with like crazy music. I'm one of those people. I don't do well with crazy loud music. I do better with like very easygoing stuff. I mostly listen to podcasts and like chill out while I'm training. Like, mm. I can go to whatever place I need to go internally. I don't need music to take me there. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, are you familiar with Ben Pakulski? Yeah. Yeah, he talks about that principle all the time. Like the, the like he calls himself like a monk when, he, when he's working out. So that's interesting. What, uh, what are some common fitness supplements, um, muscle building supplements that you recommend? I think creatine is probably the best, most widely available, most researched thing mm -hmm. that you can utilize. It might not necessarily help from a muscle building standpoint directly, but you'll probably be able to do a little bit more work probably be a little bit more focused during your workouts. You'll probably have a little bit more energy, all this kind of stuff. So over time, it probably will lead to that, but I don't think directly it's like anabolic in and of itself. Um, yeah. So let's see. Yeah. Essential amino acids and a carb powder is a, probably a pretty good idea during your workout. Uh, I think those are cool. I don't really use pre-workout supplements. Honestly, I, I'd say if you're going to have a pre-workout, have some coffee from a caffeine standpoint, but if you want more of um, like an arousal type state, you can use nootropics. You can, I'd probably lean into alpha GPC more and that doesn't necessarily make it so that you're uh, more sharp per se. It gives you more fuel to be able to drive your car faster if you choose to do so rather than like, I take this and I'm laser focused. It's a little bit different. Like there's, there's different stuff like new and things like that for like specific learning based tasks that you could utilize. But most people honestly would be just fine with like a cup of coffee and like some alpha GPC and tyrosine. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now what would you say is 
training too much in terms of days per week? What, what, is, what is your ideal range there? I know you mentioned some mm -hmm. people two to three, some people four to five, but there is, is there any point where you're like, that's too much for, for, for general pop? Uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think probably anybody needs to train six days. Like I would, I would program like six days for somebody depending on the context. Like, um, there's people that I've, I've done this myself. I've done like twice a day training six days a week, but these yeah. are very, very short sessions. Yeah. Like these are like 30 minute sessions that I'm just like getting in and out quick because I'm just using it as a way to keep myself fresh. Right. Rather than getting like so exhausted in any one session. And like one of those workouts, maybe it's like a pump workout with bands or something. Like it doesn't need to be anything crazy. Yeah. But yeah. that being said, that's not for everybody. What I would suggest is probably most general population people, three to four days a week, maybe five, but probably five is not going to be needed to be honest. I think you can do everything you need to do in four days and you have plenty of more recovery to, to, you know, give to everything else in your life because everything in life is a stress, like yeah. literally everything breathing is a stress. Being on this podcast is technically a stress. Like mm -hmm. stress is just a part of life. Mm -hmm. Now, um, do you have a, a typical morning routine that you like to stick to? Yeah, usually I'll, I'll have a setup like five days a week. Um, I give myself more leeway a couple days a week just to be human, to be honest. Right. Right. I, I think that if you, if you nail everything, at least like five days a week, you're, you're in a pretty good spot. And seven is seven out of seven is great, but I personally don't nail everything seven days a week. I still hit my macros and do be all that stuff that because I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> it's like, we're just humans, man. Like you have to be able to meet people where they're at. And like, I, I do the same thing. If I had very strict goals, so I was going to be competing or something like that. Like, yeah, I'd be on, on point every day, but that's not sustainable long-term for people. So uh, I think, yeah, having some type of introspection on the bookends of your day is a really good idea. And having some type of, uh, of sunlight and moonlight exposure on the bookends of the day is also a really good idea. Whatever that looked like to you, doesn't really matter. It could be meditation. You could do a walking meditation. You could lay down. You could go for a walk outside. You could do grounding. You could have a journal. You could do whatever you want, but just something that brings you back to yourself. Unless you're really, really aware and are able to do that on your own, like throughout the day and self-monitor, which is honestly what I've been leaning more into. I haven't done any like formal meditations in some time now. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, my, my meditations consist of um, being in like a meditative state throughout my actual day. And I think that's the ultimate goal of meditation in the first place is to be able to do that, right. to be more mindful in all Increase of your actions. mindfulness as often as you can, right? So, yeah. Now, um, a few more questions here. If we could yeah. just, if you were able to just wave a magic wand and basically upload one piece of information, one crucial piece of information to everybody's brain and assume that they would actually follow that action that you told them to take, Mm -hmm. worldwide mm -hmm. what would that one piece of information be learn how to release all negative emotion wow yeah that would um certainly resolve a lot of conflict <laughs> i think that would resolve every conflict to be honest <laughs> conflict within with themselves and therefore that being the launching point for resolving conflict in, in between people in between countries nations you name it well 100 percent if if people were just more mindful of the energy that they are holding and uh, that they're surrounded by, because man, you know, if, 
if you're having like a really bad day or you're you're like you just can't seem to find a good relationship or like nothing you do seems to work and i'm sure we both know plenty of people that are in this category it's just like they're always down on their luck mm-hmm. well you know they're also probably not in a very um heightened emotional state right they're they're probably living below the level of courage which is really a retracted state where they're anything that you are facing in your outward world is a reflection of where you're at in your inner inner self. So like if you're, if you're continually expanding and growing and everybody's reaching out for coaching or whatever it is, and like, that's why I've been growing so much, man, is because I just, the better I hold myself into a more positive, like uplifted state, things just attract to you. But if you're in a negative state, you attract more negativity. So it's like, man, like you're, you maybe have a cat or a dog. That's like always just a crazy psychopath running around the house. It's like they feed off of your energy mm-hmm. that they're that crazy. Cause that's how crazy you are inside yourself. <laughs> crazy. I know it's like mind boggling, but I, sw- I swear it's true. I've time tested this for quite some time now. And it, it actually plays true every time. Yep. Yep. I believe it wholeheartedly as well, man. All right. Last question. Um, yeah. You obviously got a ton of knowledge, man. What are some of your top resources for people who listen to this and, and want to take action and then therefore deepen their knowledge? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, number one, I would probably start with a book called Letting Go, which goes back to the last the last thing, um, whether audiobook or um, even just reading it. I think either way, that is probably the number one thing that will arm you with the skills to do anything you want in life. Um, honestly too, I would probably sign up for my, my buddy, Andy, he has a site called go super brain where he gives you like twice weekly emails that basically give you actionable steps with a storyline and a video of like how to optimize your brain. Those are probably the first two things I would do because then you could take on any amount of information that you want from any aspect of life. Cause I know if I was like, Oh yeah, it's this book or this thing that I read that's specific to my niche, that wouldn't help anybody. But these two things will help anybody more than you can imagine, because then you can take autonomy and choose what you want more than anything else. So right. that's, that's actually what I would do. Very, very simple and broad, but yeah, learn, learn more about yourself and how to let go of emotions and um, optim- learn how to optimize your brain and like what that actually means. Yeah. That's good advice, man. That's, that's going to help the most people. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right, Taylor, where else can, um, can we find you? Can we follow you? Go ahead and, and, and shout out anything you want to shout out at this point. Oh, man. Uh, very simple. I just have Instagram. I pretty much leave myself off all other platforms because I would, number one, get way too stressed if I had more than one. Uh, I do have a podcast called Immersive Performance Radio. We haven't done any podcasts in like a long time now, <laughs> but there's some there's some good gems in there. Okay. Um, I have lots of lives, lots of... Um, videos, lots of good content on my Instagram. And then coaching wise, if somebody wants, if you just want to DM me, it's very basic. I don't have a website or anything. I I literally just grow my business from word of mouth. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, Coach underscore Taylor 22. Awesome. Taylor, thanks for your time today, man. Great conversation. A lot of good gems in there. I'm definitely going to pick out a lot of this. I'm going to re-listen to it myself because you dropped a lot of supplements. I want to start implementing my practice too. So man, appreciate your time so much um i'm sure everybody got a lot of good value out of today look forward to speaking to you again in the future man yeah absolutely sounds great man all right everybody thanks for listening make sure you like subscribe and i will see you next time